Hi, it's episode 37, season 2 of the Tottenham Hotspur Family Podcast. My name's Jav. Joining me for a special midweek episode, I've, I've got two um, two special guests um, from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, co-chair Cat Laws and Martin Cloak. Hi. Hi there, how you doing? Good, not bad. Um, I should also add that Nikki, um, Nikki Merritt's my co-host and... Chair of the Johannesburg Spurs Supporters Club was supposed to join me tonight, but unfortunately Nicky's not well. So get well soon, Nicky. Um, it's yeah, all the best to Nicky. Thank you. Um, it's almost been a year since we last had you on the podcast, so um, we've got lots of questions from from ourselves, from from, from myself and Nicky, and from listeners. So before I before I get into the questions, and I know that. You appear on our podcast, and then you appear on countless other podcasts. But lots of people, there, there are a few people out there who, believe it or not, um, don't know what the trust does, or, or even if they do, they, 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 they might have certain ideas. So, just very briefly, um, what what does a trust do, and how does it make a difference? Okay, I mean, I think there are loads of people that don't know what a trust does because it's a, it's a particular thing. Um, they're, they're slightly more formal bodies than the old um, kind of supporters groups and uh, supporters associations that I think people might be a bit more familiar with from, from probably the late 70s and 80s onwards. So um, trusts are they're formally constituted democratic membership organisations which are run by fans and for fans. And what their role is, uh, is to work to strengthen the relationship between a club and its fans and the community that it serves. So what we do is that we deal with, with off-pitch matters. Um, we, we lobby on issues of importance to supporters, such as ticket pricing, safe standing. So those are campaigns that we're involved in at a national level. And so, for example, the recent victory on securing £30 away tickets across the Premier League was a result of trusts at a number of Premier League clubs, together with Supporters Direct, which is the national umbrella body for supporters' trusts, and the Football Supporters Federation all working together to lobby the football authorities and the individual clubs. So we're about improving the match day experience for fans as a whole of word governance. It's sort of looking at getting involved in, in the, the, the kind of at the board level at clubs and trying to have some input so that the voice of the fans and the interests of the fans uh, is always represented. Um, at kind of at a more granular level, so at the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust level, uh, we're a board of 10, 10 individuals. Uh, we represent around about 11,000 members, uh, and that's internationally and not just in the UK. Uh, we've got a close dialogue with the club at board level and at senior staff level, so we'll consult on any major decision that affects fans. Um, outside of that, we also undertake a huge amount of casework with individuals who are facing things like stadium bans or even criminal charges for you know, any incidents at, at, at football, any football-related incidents, amongst other things. And as I'm sure you can imagine at the moment, we have a really busy workplace with all of the developments going on at Tottenham. So that's, you know, next season, 
the season that we've got to play away from White Hart Lane and moving into the new stadium. So we're involved on everything from you know catering options to ticket pricing and, and how tickets are actually allocated. So as Martin alluded to, anything that affects a match day experience for a fan. We've got we've got quite a few questions, in fact, on on, on all of those things, as you as you can imagine, imagine from from from, from, ca- from, from catering, um, my my own little favourite to um, the new stadium and uh, that that transitional season um, when we're playing away from uh, away from home, as it were. Um, but before we get into all of those questions, just um, sort of more light-hearted note, and and um, it's obviously been a a fantastic season. I mean, what a season! Who, who would have thought it that, that we would be second, the, second on the table? Um, uh, well, we've we've already achieved Champions League f- football, and at the very least, we, we've secured um, third place, and hopefully, we can we can nail down second on 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 Sunday. Um, if if you've had a favourite goal of the season, and perhaps a favourite moment or a favourite game of the season, what what would it be? If I come to you, Cat, first. It's quite interesting because Martin and I have discussed this as fans, and I've gone with all away options. So uh, make of that what you will. So favourite goals of the season would either be Sun at Watford, which was just immense on a mentalness level. Uh, I think I ended up about 10 rows in front of where I should have been uh, at that goal at Christmas time. And then obviously Delhi Alley's at Palace, which was a sublime goal that we know fitting for any season. Um, Favourite moment, uh, Man City away, the second goal. That was amazing. As we've already alluded to Watford, the last minute winner. And Stoke was just fantastic for the mm. all-round performance. That's one of the best away performances I've ever seen. Stoke, so Stoke was certainly special, and and uh, and, the, and the Man City um, performance. I, I would say that 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 evening and uh, amazing. That's, wasn't that's, it? that's one of my favourites, Martin. Uh, I, I kind of go for home ones like the, the, the City Man City game at home and the West Ham game at home, and I think they were the moments when we started to think that this season was going to be a little bit special. And I mean, the football that we played in both of those games was fantastic and there's a real satisfaction from, from beating City and also obviously from, from beating West Ham there's a local rivalry there as well um, so they, they were some a couple of brilliant moments um, for goals for me I mean I think Ali at Palace as Kat's already said and the celebrations for that were fairly mental as well and that was quite a that was quite a game and that was quite a turning point in that game but that's one of the best goals I've ever seen in all the time I've been going there um, I also think um, a couple of goals by Harry Kane, a goal against Liverpool and a goal against Arsenal, um, just, you know, in terms of what they meant in the game as well, but just the quality of the goals. I mean, that guy can score a decent goal. Um, just um, coming to, to, to some of the things that, that have been achieved this season, as you mentioned earlier, so the the the, the, the um, £30 cap on... Um, on uh, away tickets, um, freezing of um, season tickets again for, for home matches for his first season running. Um, if there's anything I've, I've missed, please feel free, free, free to add. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, I think, in one of your recent newsletters was the, um, the various weekend closures. For anybody who, who who visits White Hart Lane, would have known. Particularly back, I think it was in September. I, I remember there was a few home games that were affected. Um, uh, we c- couldn't take your normal routes. Um, what's the, to the best of your knowledge? Um, I'm sure that you 
work closely with with the club and and and, and with TFL. Um, are there going to be any more closures on match days um, for next season? Um, to be utterly honest with you, although we do work, we, we work with the club. Uh, we have um, various meetings, and, and one of the sessions that this comes under would be a police safety forum. For that, all to do with with rail and road networks. We don't have an ongoing dialogue with, with Laurel and TFL. We'll feed in when there are any issues. So as you'll know, um, Abelio gave over the line to Laurel, um, London Overground, uh, was it start of this season, Martin? Two ages ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. Start of this season, and obviously there were loads of issues with their rolling stock and loads of issues with their timetables. So that's kind of where we'll kick in. So we have like a mini group who feed in with their various routes on the way home, and they'll let us say when there's only been a four-car train instead of an eight-carriage train, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so we, we, we are on top of that. But to be honest, the relationship with TFL is the club, rather than ours. So in terms of building a new station at White Hart Lane, then we obviously know what's going on there, um, but that would be part of Hammondgate's plans, not, not Tottenham the club. So that's kind of tricky for us to answer. I would hope they would minimise, as we always would, minimise any closures on match day, but we can't sit here now in May 2016 and predict what their timetable will be right the way through until May 2017. Did you want to add anything, Martin? Yeah, I mean, I think the improvement that we've got uh, is, is that one of the people that we work with on the board has kind of been involved in the transport side for, for quite a lot of time um, uh, as a kind of supporter rep. So, and it sounds kind of really basic, and a lot of this stuff, I think, comes under the dull but vital um, category as well. But the, the point that we have to keep making a lot of these things over transport, policing, safety, or the rest of it is that uh, maybe if you talk to the fans, that might be quite a good idea because you can find out what's happening to them and maybe they'll have a few suggestions for how you can improve it. Uh, and to, to give some credit to the, the transport uh, people, they have actually listened to what we've said about getting in and out of White Hut Lane Station, about when they schedule the trains and all the rest of it. And I think you know the handover is fairly obvious between the old company that ran that line and the new company could have been handled better. Um, I think a new company were, were presented with a few surprises as well. So well, what we've done is just said, if you're discussing anything about this, let us know what's going on. We can try and feed in our experience to see if you can then base your kind of policies on, on, on what's actually happened rather than what theoretically should happen. Uh, and also, if there are going to be problems, then let's tell people about them early so that they can try and make plans and we can all help each other. So I think that's, that's really what the relationship is. And our, our push at all times is to say to all of these bodies, you know, don't make decisions on behalf of the fans. Talk to the fans about those decisions, and actually, we might all get something better out of it. But uh, your your question was about scheduling timetables, and, and, and to that we have to be honest, we don't have yeah, yeah. any input into that at all, Jenna. Sorry. Okay, that's uh, so that's fine. Um, just moving along, um, and this is this is again a quote from um, one of the. Bennis uh, uh, from your meeting, and and this is around um, the new stadium and and generating, you know, getting the atmosphere. We we all know that White Hart Lane, when it's at its very best, it can be uh, the atmosphere can, can be great. It, it's it's an old uh, an old an old style sort of English ground, very in, um, close to the pitch and, and so forth. So everybody wants and hopes that that that. The new stadium will have that special atmosphere. Certainly, a lot of a lot of clubs, and I'm going back 20-25 years. If you go back to, for instance, when uh, Borough moved to the uh, to the Riverside, and, and Stoke moves into a new stadium, and Reading moves moves from forgot even what, what it was called. They've moved to the Majeski, but wherever they, wherever they used to play. Um, a lot of these um, 
um, a lot of these clubs have always have somehow struggled to generate an atmosphere. Um, and in the, uh, um, I'm just quoting back um, the minutes from the last meeting there's a quote from South which says that the trust's position is will help facilitate any efforts by fans to boost the atmosphere at our ground um, and it goes on to say that you prefer that this would be grassroots led rather than over organized and corporate um, continues to say a number of social media groups devoted to improving the atmosphere the atmosphere have raised their profile since since the game and I think that that's in reference to the Dortmund game I believe um, and we're happy to help and, and advise people on how best to achieve what they want now we all know about the the, the, the 1882 and what, what they've done in the past and Kat you and I were I think uh-huh. we, we, we met at the 1882 game um, Parlesan Belgrade last season um, in terms of particular ideas that have come forward what's come forward and, and how how do you how do you guys think that could be best achieved getting that getting that special atmosphere into the okay. new, new stadium so I'm going to go slightly broader here. It, it, before we even talk about what the fans can do in the stadium, let's talk about the new stadium itself. So the brief that was given to Populous, who were the architects, was to design a stadium with atmosphere in mind. So the stadium, when it's actually built, will give us every opportunity to create a fantastic atmosphere. It's close to the pitch, really tight to the pitch. I think the thing that's most noticeable about a lot of modern stadia is the distance between you know, the, the front row of where the fans are seat, seated to the, the touchline on the pitch. That's not going to be the case. It's significantly nearer. So that's great that they're keeping it tight to the pitch. That 17,000 feet of single tier stand at the south end is again designed solely with atmosphere in mind. That's going to be our home section. That's going to be where you know the, the hardcore, the bedrock of our support will more than likely be, end up being in that 17,000 seater seater end. So just to set minds at rest, it's not going to be a solar steel and glass bowl. They, the atmosphere was a key part of the briefing into this design. But obviously, if the fans don't turn up and make noise, then that's, that's you know, irrelevant. But what I'm trying to say is that the foundations are there for fans to go in and express themselves. And Martin, through his day job, you know a little bit more about this kind of thing, don't you, with the whole... Yeah, I mean, we did... We did um, I, I, one of the magazines we did through work was a sports business magazine, and we did an interview with uh, a couple of the leading partners from, from Populous. I mean, Populous are, are the people, the world leaders in stadium architecture. Uh, and one of the things that they're getting asked a lot in America... Oddly enough, in American football and in soccer, as they call it in America, is um, how can we make our stadiums more like the English football stadiums? And I think part of the discussion around you know, the away tickets was about what, what away fans bring to the spectacle, if you like. So it's, it's kind of already been corporatized. The Premier League uses atmosphere in, in its grounds and its matches to sell its product to the TV audiences abroad. And I think that, um, that you know, the club owners uh, have noticed that. So populists have now got this thing, and again, loads of people are going, oh my God, it's getting over-corporatized, but they call it designing the experience. Um, so that is doing things like bringing the stands in close to the pitch, but it's also doing things like going against the, the, the tradition that's gone with a lot of new stadiums maybe in the 15 to 20 years that have gone before. So they're not looking at that kind of circle of executive boxes around the middle of the stadium, uh, because what that does is that that breaks the noise up. And one of the reasons they've got this 17,000 seat a single stand is because you've got no piece of architecture. It's like, you know, if you think of the sound wave going up a solid bank, there's nothing for it to break on. So in terms of the design of the stadium, that's really what they're looking for. 
and a lot of the detail then comes around that. They're looking at, you know, obviously trying to make it a profitable enterprise, make sure the match day experience is really good for fans. But a key part of that match day experience, as they call it, uh, is, is about generating noise and about atmosphere as well. So that, you know, the emphasizing it's being designed in, uh, I think is really important. But as Kat says, the fans have to deliver that. So there are things that we need to talk to the club to enable them to do that and, as well. And I think if we go back to the question on atmosphere, there are several elements that need to be in place in order to create a good atmosphere. So the first one of that is the kind of people who are in your stadium, for so the demographic of people who were sat there. And not only sat there, but sat together. Because the reason that 1882 had been so successful was because like-minded people were allowed to buy tickets in the same area of the stadium. That's why the away crowd is so much louder and so much more vocal than a home crowd. Because you've got 3,000 fans who are packed into one area. So if you all feed off each other and that atmosphere is, you know, really energised. Whereas it's the same 3,000 fans who are at White Hart Lane, but they're scattered all over a 36,000 seat stadium, so your atmosphere gets diluted. So it's about demographics. That also means accessible pricing. You've got to allow these people to be able to afford to come in. So that, you know, all feeds in there as well. Then you look at other things, such as safe standing. That, that's, you know, another thing that's renowned for creating atmosphere, if people can stand. So the club and popular are both behind safe standing. Obviously, legislation needs to change over here for us to be allowed any safe standing areas in the top two divisions of English football. Um, but we are reassured by both the club and populace that if that legislation did change, there are provisions within that design to install purpose-built, purpose-designed safe standing areas. So you've got a few different elements going on. So that's before we even start going on to visuals, which is what you were alluding to. Yeah. So to talk about what, what we meant in that newsletter, that was specifically talking about the flag display that we put on at Southampton. So that was a, a really good exercise for both us and the club. We wanted to give the players a good send-off for the last home game of this season. We thought they deserved it. It's been you know, a cracking season all in all. So um, we, us and the club, designed and ordered 62 flags. Uh, that were in the Park Lane Lower, in the South Lower, on Sunday. Um, we got some volunteers to come in and take the flags and, and wave them. And we also encouraged uh, every other fan to bring in their homemade flags with them. And the club published you know, health and safety regulations and, and the criteria and the parameters that you needed to work within if you wanted to bring in your own flags. So that's something that we'd like to do more of next season to get people more in the habit of doing that kind of thing before we move into the new stadium. And I think I think that that's you know getting people into the habit and kind of getting that you know demonstrating the art of the possible is important. And I know probably a few listeners would have been slapping their forehead at, at the mention of health and safety or whatever. Um, the, the reality of it is that uh, the days when you could kind of spray something on a bed sheet and bring it in and hang it off the stand are gone. Um, you know, for for a number of reasons, but that's just the way it is. So our choice is: do we argue about that, or do we say, okay, let us know what we can bring in, and we'll do that. And to be honest, most people did. So I think what we had on Sunday was a good combination of there was some stuff that had been provided by the club. A lot of designs were designs that fans had sent in for the surfer uh, that we unveiled, uh, unveiled for the Leicester game earlier this season as well. So we used some of those designs. So that was stuff that had come from fans rather than being some kind of, you know, sort of corporate thing from the club as well. Um, we got a few volunteers in just to start the thing off. But once people saw people with flags, they said, oh, where do I get those? They went down into the concourse and they got them. I think people have now seen that. They said it looked really good on Sunday and people were looking more in. Yeah. So I think there's that balance of 
stuff that was laid on by the club, plus a lot of the homemade flags, and especially the international supporters clubs bringing in their flags as well. Mm. It was really good. And I think we've always been clear that we don't want those kind of you know, massive flags that they have at the Emirates or at Chelsea, you know, which is, is an obvious kind of call. Who? Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it's trying to get that balance between, you know, letting fans just bring their own stuff in. Spurs fans have never needed any real help uh, getting stuff into stadiums and showing their support. I think what they need help on is that, you know, because things have changed a little bit now, how do we manage to do that? And I think Sunday showed that it can work as well. Uh, and, you know, some of the arguments we've had before about is it over-organised, is it not organised enough, what are you going to do? I think the balance was right. Mm. I think uh, what we've always said to groups like 1882 and Revive the Lane is, um, ask the club what you can do, deal with them yourself. If you're having any issues, then come to us and we'll try and help you get, get here and we'll try and put the case for you as well. But we don't need to run everything. And I think that, again, there was one group of people running all of the kind of visual side of things at, at the club. Then that's not right. You know, there, are, there will be 50,000, 60,000 people in this new stadium, all with their own way of supporting the team. And we need to make sure they get the opportunity to do that in their own way. Just very quickly, two questions around that. In terms of availability for that single tier stand, will it will it just be season ticket holders, or will it be open to everybody else? So, for example, I go to a lot of lot of Spurs games, but I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm a bronze member, um, and I but I, and I tend to go in, in in the south lower because of the atmosphere. Um, with the single tier stand, will it be open to a mix of season ticket holders and members? Okay, so there's going to be a, a common theme more than likely running through my answers here, which is that that's too much detail right now. We have got to deal with next season, the last season at White Hart Lane and the complications that that, that will bring, um, then the season away, and then migrate our entire membership base, you know, our, our season ticket holders and bronze members and whatever, into the new stadium. Mm. So that kind of granular detail, and it is granular detail, um, it, it just... I can't answer it honestly yet because they don't know. What, what they are going to do over the summer is send out more surveys because Tottenham, I think there was a perception that every single person will want to sit in that 17,000 seat a single tier. That was the initial perception. But that could be way off mark. I, I mean, I've heard lots of people say, no, 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 that's an away experience. When I'm at home, I want to be sitting, you know, in line with the halfway line. Uh, I want to be in the east or west. Uh, I go with my father or my family to homes. It's the away that I want to stand up and be crazy at. So what they're going to do is put out some surveys and just try and get a sample as to where people are actually interested in sitting in. So they can see which will be the most popular stands in the most popular areas. And they'll work it back from there. But I wouldn't have thought they would make any section completely season ticket holder. Okay. Uh, so for me, it would be it would be dispersed because you're looking at a ratio of say 60-65% season ticket holders in that ground. That gives more than enough space for members to also get involved. And I think you need that that new that new energy coming in as well. It can't just be the same people in the same places, you know, completely for me. Yeah. Can't I can't answer you scientifically because the answer isn't there yet. Okay. Um, and also in terms of atmosphere. Um, Many years ago, there used to be a drummer at the lane, um, but there isn't any more. Is that likely to feature going forward? I'll just correct you on that. There is a drummer at the lane. Um, two summers ago, uh, I took the drummer up to meet with senior staff at the club, and we had a sit-down meeting about bringing it back. And the club were actually a lot more open than I thought they would be. There's a lot of um, historic reasoning for why the drum ended that I won't go into right now, uh, but they welcomed the drum for, at that point, um, Europa League time. 
and that was purely because they felt that the most um, responsive and the most accepted place that it could be would be in with the 1882 lot mm. or in South Lower. And yeah. it was the Europa League games they were able to free up blocks for those fans to come to. So that, that was the deal for that. It's then expanded. It, it's welcome up every cup game, so FA Cup, League Cup, Europa League, whatever. Um, specifically for the Dortmund match, they asked the drummer if he could you know, come in there. Could he source a larger drum because the drum that he had wasn't big enough? Uh, so he agreed to do that, but then didn't manage to do it in time. So the club actually borrowed a massive drum from the local boys' brigade, um, purely for the Dortmund match. Um, unfortunately, the drummer broke the skin fairly early on. Um, that still needs to be reskinned. So it, it, it's tricky. The, 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 the drum is allowed, is the main message here. Um, the drummer isn't a season ticket holder. So it depends on him getting tickets in the right part of the ground, which creates complications. So it's something that we'll have a dialogue with. I know that our head of supporter services had an outstanding phone call with the drummer. He's waiting for him to call him back. So once they've spoken, then hopefully we can move things forward. But no, uh, the, the drum is allowed. It's just not allowed to ban the yid chant, basically. Okay. Um, moving along, I... I... We had a couple of questions from Carol Hayward. I, I suspect you won't be able to answer these. Um, she's asked, will season ticket holders be able to choose their own seats in the new stadium? And any idea if any of the stands in the new stadium will be named after special Tottenham legends? So you're right, it is again a case of it's slightly too early to get into that much detail. Um, what I will say is that the club will make as, as many fans as happy as they possibly can, and I genuinely believe that. It's not in their best interest to plonk season ticket holders somewhere that they don't want to be. So part of the surveys that they're running will also be to establish the kind of areas that you'd like to sit in. So again, whilst I don't have it written in black and white at this moment in time because it's just too early, my feeling is that yes, as a season ticket holder, I would at least be able to choose my block and my row, whether or not I can't actually choose the exact seat. But you know, technology is so great at the moment that I don't see why we can't have, you know, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, Martin? <laughs> choice? No, not a choice. It's like an online thing that you can choose. Oh, kind of virtual. Of. Virtual! Thank you. <laughs> uh, you. You know, you can't have a virtual plan and you can go in and zoom in and pick your seat. So I would expect that they will look to do something like that, yeah. Well, I think it's an important point Kat makes as well. I mean, I mean I've been somebody who, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist, so I'm quite cynical anyway, because that's what I'm paid to be. And I think all of us in terms of, uh, of dealings with football clubs over the years are quite cynical. But from relationships that we've built up with a club and conversations we have with people in ticketing, uh, you know, it is, they, they are genuinely wanting uh, to make sure people get what they want as far as they can. And I think if you kind of take yourself out of that a little bit and say, well, okay, that's your opinion and it's just based on a personal view, you, you then say, well, why would the club not want to? If they want to make a lot of money out of the fans, you know, which they obviously do because of all the reasons that we know, they're going to want to make sure that they're as happy as possible. And some of those things are going to be, can you sit with who you want, if at all possible? You know, can you choose where you want to go? Is the experience going to be good enough? So, uh, you know, I think where we're going to have arguments with them are over things like pricing. I think where we're not going to have as many arguments with them are things over, you know, can you choose where you sit? But again, going back to the point that, that, that was made about atmosphere is that there are assumptions made that people will want to sit in particular places. And one of the arguments, for example, around, you know, safe standing is that, you know, the reason that we're arguing for safe standing areas is because some people don't want to be in an area where people are standing up. 
Um, some people don't want to be in an area where they might not see a lot of the game because there's a dirty great flag in front of them. And a lot of people said about Dortmund, I know it looked really impressive, they said I wouldn't have liked to have been in that away end because I couldn't see half the bloody match as well. So, uh, you know, I think it, it's easy a lot of the time for us to think that all other supporters that go to games are like us and they want what we want as well. Yeah. A lot of supporters want different things and the club realises that and it would make no commercial sense for them not to realise that people want different things. So they're going to try and deliver what they want. And, that, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, this is now been recorded and people can come back and say, you know, those two were a couple of idiots because they thought, that, you know, yeah, they're morons and they're completely useless. But genuinely, they want to give people what they want as far as this goes. It because just, it makes yeah. commercial sense. It, it, makes, it makes no, you know, the lack of common sense as well to think yeah. that they would try to not accommodate season ticket holders' wishes as far as they can. So I, I think, think that should be fine. I think that, 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 that's a very good point because. It, you know, it doesn't follow that necessarily a season ticket holder. Some certainly will want to be in that single tier cop. Others won't. Um, just to, to illustrate the point. Um, so I, as I said earlier, I tend to be in block 35 um, South Lower, and um, I've one or two occasions I've had friends that are season ticket holders that have seats in the Paxton and they've they've stood with me and they just find the experience. It's just they, they don't enjoy the standing experience as much as. They do sitting down in in the packs and in their regular seat. So it's you know everybody's um, everybody's different, um, I suppose. Um. Absolutely right. They are right. I mean, I, you know, as a, as a fifty-one-year-old season ticket holder, I possibly uh, am not able to do some of the things I could do as a thirty-one-year-old season ticket holder for the whole game as well. So, whole <laughs> <Home> game. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Um, moving along to the subject of catering. Um, okay. Nick Seal asks, will the catering be improved at the new ground? The choice of food, if you are pescatarian, is rubbish if, at the moment. If you're a vegetarian, don't bother trying to eat anything in the ground at present. I know it's food for the masses, but why has no one thought, why has no thought gone, in, gone into the subject? Hate to say it, but I, I have had more food choices at the den than at the lane. Okay, um, I don't think it's any secret that we think the centre plates have delivered a completely substandard choice and you know, quality of food for the entirety of their contract at White Hart Lane. And were they not to have a contract at White Hart Lane next season, not saying anything at all, uh, I wouldn't shed any tears, let's just put it that way. I completely agree with uh, the gentleman who sent the question in. Uh, the choice is awful. Uh, I think we also have to accept that we are limited by the fact we are in an old stadium. I mean, I'm um, forever gutted by the fact I can't get a burger in the East Lower. It's like guts me every time I go in there. And um, when I asked Centre Plate why I couldn't have a burger in the East Lower, they said I could, but it would have to be boiled because I've <laughs> got nowhere to actually buy them. So I was like, okay, fine. So we have got limitations in, in the stadium that we're in at the moment. Moving into the new stadium, I don't know if you were sent a survey, another survey, uh, where they asked about catering options quite specifically. Yeah. Stuff they were asking, you know, for your preference on was quite ambitious. It felt quite American, but it was quite ambitious. So I think that, you know, there, there is going to definitely be a wider choice in there. From the feedback that we've had, there's meant to be this five-storey mezzanine, you know, in the south end, this massive food court and this whole food experience. Uh, and we were led to believe there'd be an opportunity for, you know, franchises in there and, and local local outlets 
We'd had a running joke, we wanted a Chick King franchise put in there as possible. Um, so I would be amazed if they didn't realise um, the revenue that can be generated by putting on good quality food, particularly if they're going to try to attract fans in there um, on non-match days and also a lot earlier on match days. They need to step up everything that they're offering on, on that level. Do you want to add something like yeah. I mean, I think especially if they're going to be staging NFL games, then that audience is used to a, a better standard of catering than, 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 than we get a while later. I mean, one, one of the possibilities we, we got, I think it was about a year ago, one of the trust members is quite involved down at Twickenham and he arranged for us to do a tour down there with some of the people from the club as well and we had a look at what their operation is and what they do is this franchising idea on their food court that um, that, that, that Kat mentioned so uh, what that means is that you know there are some of the smaller local businesses but also you know the big chain so you've got your kind of your your preps and your Domino's pizzas and your pizza expresses and Burger Kings or whatever in there and the thinking behind that is that what those companies do as their job is not stage football matches or you know whatever they sell food to people uh, and if you bring them in and especially with the local businesses their incentive uh, is to sell as much of their product as possible uh, so they need to make it good and they need to serve it properly. I think part of the problem with the way that traditional football catering contracts have gone is that a company gets an amount of money for the year and that's it. It doesn't really matter how they deliver it, you know, they have to kind of hit a target first of all and then that's it. Um, the problem I think realistically we're going to have next year is whoever's doing the catering next year, whether it's centre plate or whether it's somebody else, they're just going to be doing it for next year. So I'm not particularly expecting, unfortunately, the catering to get a lot better next no, year. And it couldn't get a lot bloody worse, yeah, though. We are, we are limited, yeah. you know, to what they can cook on site and what they can offer in, Easter, in the current stadium. But there's no excuse whatsoever for the new stadium not offering vegetarian and pescatarian options, really. I was just going to say, it's funny you should, you should mention t- t- um, Twickenham. Now, I'm, I'm not a rugby fan, but I, I, I went to my very first ever um, Six Nations match earlier early this year. England against Wales, and I was really impressed with, with, with Twickenham, so if there's a model to follow, then um, that, that would be it for me, personally. Um, they have had a look at Twickenham, and I mean, we know that, you know, the support of the agent officer at Spurs as, as well, uh, we do a lot of work, we've just been to visit a lot of stadiums himself, and they, they've sent uh, Jonathan Waite, who's a support of the agent officer, to various stadiums to look at, again, you know, this, this, this phrase, the fan experience, but how do some of the newer stadiums deal with fans, you know, what are the issues they've got, what is it that we can look at that's going to be better? And again, you know, any club that's building a new stadium is going to do this, and Spurs especially, because they always want to be seen as innovative and doing things first. They're going to want to look for how can we get an edge? How can we make sure that our stadium is better than the other ones? How can we make sure the experience we give the fans is better than others? So they have been doing the research, and they have been looking at the stuff that's already out there, because again, why would you not do that? You know, there are successful sporting stadiums, quite modern ones out there, and there are things that we can learn from those stadiums. And I think the club doing that and also working with populists who are, you know, they are absolutely the market leaders in this whole sort of thing. Potentially, there's a very, very good stadium being built there. Mm, absolutely. Um, so we've got a few questions from um, people from supporters clubs. So um, Nikki, who I just mentioned at the outset, unfortunately can't be with us. Nikki's um, uh, chair of the Johannesburg Spurs supporters club. And she's got a question around um, the availability of merchandise. So at the moment, it's very difficult to get any mer- Spurs merchandise in South Africa. And when she spoke to the supporters club department about this, they just agreed and said there are no licenses in South Africa. Currently, they pay ridiculous custom costs. Um, do, you, um, sh- do you know how um, that situation could be Im- improved? Because there's, there's um, 
Well, yeah, uh, we do. I mean, it's, uh, as, as, a, as an area, it's not something that the, the trust gets involved with because it's, that is, you know, it's commercial deals, it's, the, it's the, the, the commercial side of what the club does and its involvement uh, with its supporters club. And also we are, we are constituted as a not-for-profit organisation, so that's where we have to be careful with a lot of that sort of stuff. That's why we wouldn't get involved in the actual retailing side of the whole thing. What we would say to anybody that is having the sort of problems that you just mentioned is that um, by all means get in touch with us but get in touch with the club, get in touch with either the support liaison officer, Jonathan Wade, or, or sorry, head of support services, his job title is now, or the head of retail, I think is a woman called Victoria Howarth. Um, and we're happy to be go-betweens and pass on, but in the end, it's a conversation between the supporters clubs uh, and the club itself. And I think some clubs, particularly in the States, in the United States, have done some deals with the club uh, to try and get things sorted out. And again, the club has got an interest in terms of building its profile, if you like, to try and get its, its merchandise out there. So, um, you know, by all means, if you want to write to us, we'll pass you on to the right people. But it's a case of us putting you in touch with the right people and then that conversation going on. But it does sound like there is something, you know, that, that, that needs to be improved. And I think the club will do what they can to try and do that. Um, again, they will know more than I do because it's their job about, you know, what the legal requirements about merchandising in particular territories are as well. And I would imagine that some of that is behind the problems that Nicky might be having in Johannesburg. Mm. Um, we've got a few questions from Paul Esau. So, so Paul Esau, um, he lives in Bridgend and he's part of South Wales Spurs. Um, I'll just go through them quickly. Um, he says, the only problem that we have as a supporters club is that no Category A or B games are available. Um, but he does add, I'm sure with the increased capacity of the new stadium, things will change. Um, around travel to games, he says, um, could that be better? So um, does the... Uh, does the club or, or, or does the trust facilitate help with that sort of thing? Um, at the moment, they've got to organise their own transport and parking. Um, and his final point is around away applications as a supporters group. He thinks that would be a good idea. OK, I'll jump in on these. So the first part of that three-part question was about uh, the supporters club. They have no access to Cat A or B games, is that right? That's what he says, yeah. OK, so just to clarify, as a supporters club... Um, you can apply for as many tickets for Category C games as you like. You can, home games, this is. You can apply for up to 50 tickets for Category B games. And the Category A games, the club make it really, really clear at the start of the season that Category A games and the last game of the season are balloted. So you can apply, you apply at the start of the season for your last game of the season. For Cat A games, you apply in line with their scheduling. Um, and you will be given a certain number of tickets when the club have got all the apps in from all the official supporters club and they will even them out. So they can't say, you know, it, will you get 40, you'll get 30. They need to see how many apps come in because obviously they're hugely, hugely popular matches. So he's not quite right there. You, you do have access. You just don't get given every ticket that you apply for. So I think it's also worth remembering that every individual member of an official supporters club is also a one Hotspur member. So they get two bites at a cherry on all the Cat A games, because you can apply through your supporters club, and if you don't get a ticket, then you can apply as a one Hotspur member like every other fan would also. So it's not that there isn't access to, to those games. So the, the question about the, the coach travel, the, the transport, so um, before the £30 away cap was brought in or was agreed, which starts from next season, um, there was a thing that was called an away supporters initiative. 
of ASI, which was the £200,000 that each club had to ring fence of their own money to improve the away supporters' experience. And as part of that, each official supporters club that were based in the UK were eligible to, to get one free coach to an away game um, per season that, that Tottenham would pay for. So that, that came out of the ASI. So that was a part on transport. If he's talking about coaches and transport to White Hart Lane, well, at the moment, there's a major issue, and that's parking. That, that there isn't any car parking space, and there won't be next season, not one, at White Hart Lane because of all the work that's going on. So it's highly unlikely that they would do that. There's nowhere to, to park the, the coaches afterwards. And also, it's kind of, it's expensive. It's, mm. it's cost a lot of money. So you've also got to look at how much it would be costing the club to, to, to lay on transport for all these official supporters clubs after giving them ticketing priority in the first place for home games. So that's your transport. Um, the last part of this was applications for away games as a supporters group. Well, this is something that 100% happens. This, this already goes on. So as a supporters club, you apply for an away game. So however many of your members want to go to that away match, you stick in your app through the person in your supporters club who organises that, and he or she submits it to the club. Then obviously, there's normally these days a loyalty point cut off uh, if the matches are oversubscribed. So everyone who applies for that, who has got the necessary points, will be given a ticket in line with your normal one hotspur membership. It just means that you'd be seated together as a supporters club. So the only reason that a supporters club member wouldn't get a ticket for an away game is if they fell under the loyalty point cutoff. So the away acts are already happening, and he should speak to whoever's organising that at his supporters club to get more details. Okay. Um, we've got about half a dozen questions. I'm going to try to get through them as quickly as possible. Um, two questions I've, I've grouped together because these are ones which um, particularly affect me, but, but I, I know a lot of a lot of other people in, in a similar boat with this. So, firstly, purchasing home tickets. Um, at the moment, it's a sort of 9:30 Monday morning or a Tuesday morning, and that's. That's fine if you're not working um, on that day, or, or, or you're in a job that, that is slightly flexible. But um, it's 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 not a convenient time, I think, for for most people to purchase tickets. And I wondered if there was something the club were looking at um, changing, and whether the supporters club had, had had ever flagged that with them. Um, and the other thing is um, away ticket allocation based on loyalties. At the moment, we've we've got the um, uh, loyalty points. So if, you, if, you, if you're a season ticket holder, um, you get priority. And, and then if um, there are still tickets um, available for a away game, then they're open to all members um, based on, on, on their loyalty points. Couldn't we have a similar scheme for home games? And I'm particularly thinking again of the Southampton match, where it, I know it was the last game of the season, and I know that we were in contention for the, for the league title, so it was always going to be difficult. But I think it was particularly frustrating for many who missed out, people that went on a regular basis and they just missed out just by pure virtue of the fact that you know, they couldn't log in at 9.30 or, or it was just the luck of the draw. Oh, uh, sorry, you've got me again because I'm the ticketing ref on the ball, so <laughs> fall, falling into my court here. Um, completely agree with the 9.30 pinch point. Um, the club are also aware of that. We spoke to them about it this year. The problem is that any time that you move it to will not be convenient for all of your fans. 
So if it's, you know, midway through the day, then it inconveniences people who are on shift work and yada, yada, yada. So there were various reasons why 9.30 was chosen on either a Monday or a Tuesday morning, but they are aware that it's not massively convenient for all of their supporter base, and, and no time ever would be. So that has been flagged, that has been discussed. Um, your next point was around about allocating home tickets on a loyalty point basis. So this is something that I had a discussion with the club about, must be three years ago to be honest, when I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and hadn't really thought through all of the implications of how this would work. Because when you apply for an away game, you are applying across one pricing structure, so adult, it'll be 30 quid next season, but say adult at the end we're at 64 pounds, if you're under 18 or over 65, it's a different price. But apart from that, you're working with a narrow price parameter. And you're not choosing which part of the ground you're sitting in. Because all of your away applications, all of your away you know, seats are in one stand. Your 3,000 tickets are bunched together. So that's mm. relatively simple to do. You put an application in, you know it's going to cost you £64, you know where you're going to be sat if you're lucky enough to get a ticket. If you start trying to do that at a home stadium, we have various different price points around White Hart Lane. So what it costs me to sit in South Lower is vastly cheaper than what it costs me to sit in West Upper. So already, if you're asking people to apply, are you asking them to apply with a, you know, a price cut-off like you do at Wembley? I will pay no more than £50 for a seat at this match. So therefore, if you don't have enough points to qualify for a seat in South Lower, but you would have had enough in East Upper, but you'd said that you'd only pay £50, you don't get a ticket for the North London Derby. It starts to get messy. And the other thing is that as an away fan, you've again got that blank block of 3,000 seats, they're empty seats. You start slotting people in in groups as they've applied. In White Hart Lane currently, there aren't blocks of seats that are free because there's season ticket holders in them. So uh, then, you know, if you're wanting, wanting to apply with your mates as a group, you end up with just single seats available on a loyalty point cutoff. So you've got 400 points, your friend's got 200. The cutoff, you know, 190. So how do you allocate? Does your friend with the 200 points get priority with you on 400? Do you see what I mean? Mm. So it's far more complex when you're looking at doing it on a, on a home match. There are ways that you could do it. One way would be running a ballot, which means you know everyone would would apply um, by a certain time and then get you know drawn. And you could do that by loyalty points as well. So you could all apply by a certain time and then you know put a maximum spend in the club would then draw effectively. Um, so there are mechanisms in place. How would you feel about running category A games next season by loyalty points if it was a case of apply by a deadline? put a maximum price on it and then you'd be told you've been successful or not? Good question. Um, I, I think there isn't a... Unfortunately, the, 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 for what you've alluded to there, I think there isn't a perfect solution. There I think it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I mean, for me, you're kind of taking your chances. If, if you can log on at 9.30 on a Monday or a Tuesday, it is effectively an online ballot already. Yeah. <laughs> the people with the fastest server connections, or the people who just, just happen to you know, link into that queue at that moment in time, can get a ticket. And there are other people who will sit on there all day and get nothing. So, 
you know, we're just trying to explore different mechanisms for next year. I think it's the level of randomness, isn't it, really, that goes on there. That a loyalty point system has the advantage of people can see how that works, um, whether they agree with how the loyalty points are put together, and we've had those discussions before as well, um, but that's the system so they can see that, or is it totally random? Uh, and that there's pros and cons on both of them. I mean, Manchester United for years have allocated their away tickets on the, as a random ballot. Um, there are, you know, they've got a good away support, but there are loads of people that don't like that because you never know whether you're going to get a ticket or not uh, until, until it turns up. So there's issues. And I think as Kat has said as well, even if you did have a, you, you said, okay, we don't like the random side of it, let's have the loyalty points side, you've still got, well, is it just loyalty points or is it loyalty points up to a certain price? Uh, in the ground as well, and that's what makes it difficult to administer um, for the club. There's no easy system, and they're not looking for something that's really, really easy. Um, but you know, it's levels of complexity, and whether people see that as fair. And I think, I think in the end, the unfortunate thing is, and the more that you deal with ticketing, the more you realise, which is probably the ultimately cynical thing to say, is that uh, for each individual, the ticketing system that is best is the one that gets them a ticket. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, for, 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 from a purely from a selfish point, point of view at the moment, I'm building up a lot of loyalty points, so that, that favours me. But then coming back to something that you said much earlier in the podcast about getting new fans in, you, you can't just, if you had a loyalty point system, then you'd only get, um, you'd, 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 I was going to say, I suppose price out isn't the right word, but you'd exclude yeah. a lot of a lot of no, people. I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, just to be specific, um, I was referring to next season only, when we've got a real issue. Uh, we're 4,000 seats down, obviously, um, with the closure of the northeast corner of Paxton that was announced on Thursday. And that's, they're coming out of members' tickets, obviously. Yeah. The season ticket holders are all being rehoused, so it's the members who are going to be pinched here. Because that's 4,000 less seats available. So next season is not going to be a typical season. And it's one that the club needs to think carefully about. And not everyone's going to be happy with. Um, because not everybody's going to get a ticket. So for me, and I'm, I will take myself away from co-chair of the trust now. For me, Cat as a person, it's more important for me that the people who've been to the most games... Uh, if you want to show that I display loyalty, that's fine. But the people who put in the time and have paid the money and have been to the most games over the past few seasons, so therefore have the most loyalty points, are the ones that should get to see our team play the left North London derby at White Hart Lane uh, over somebody who took out a membership this summer. And I feel quite strongly about that. But that's me as an individual. So for me as an individual, to answer that difficult question, I would definitely do cat A games on multi points next year to make sure that happens. And, and I'm sorry, I, I do understand that then means that the new, the new fans would miss out on those games for one season. But I think it's important that the people who've been with the club and been on that journey with the club are there to see those games next year. Given, given that, that, that tickets will, will, will be harder to come by next season um, and that they'll be, but, but because of the reduced capacity, um, unfortunately, um, that uh, thing called StubHub, I'm sure, will be will be something that a lot of fans will, will, will turn to when when they can't get a ticket um, through through the normal channels. Um, I unfortunately used it the other day. I I I didn't want to, um, but I really wanted a ticket um, in the South Lower for, for for the Southampton game. So I paid um, a ridiculous amount of money. Now that that's 
I, I accept that there's something called the free market and 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 individuals have choice and I and I chose to do that and I chose to pay what I what I paid but going forward um where I, I, I'm sure that Subhub is something that that's been discussed but um do you know if the club intend to have that partnership going forward because surely there's got to be a better way to um facilitate tickets which fans no longer need or want well we we, we will be honest about uh you know we opposed the deal with StubHub from the start and we've said to the club uh, the problems it's going to cause next year are exactly why you shouldn't have signed the bloody deal in the first place and there was a bit of gazing at the shoe there because i think that the people at the coalface uh realized that as well however the deal's been signed uh, it is going to be there next year what we've done, and some people think we shouldn't have done, some people think it isn't good enough, other people have said that's all you could do in the circumstances, is that the, the model that's at Spurs is the only place globally where there is a cap on the price you can sell a ticket for. Now that cap's 150 quid, and it's still too high, in my opinion, but it's a cap. So we're not seeing people being as massively ripped up as they could have done. What it comes down to in the end, it's not even about buying the tickets. You know, We've never particularly had an objection to any system where people can buy tickets uh, or exchange tickets. We think they should be face value. Right? There is nothing stopping any fan putting a ticket on StubHub at face value and selling it to a fellow fan mm. if that's what they want to do. Uh, nobody is making them put it on at 150 quid or they're sort of uncapped, you know, thousands of pounds or whatever it was, the price that people were asking before as well. So we would rather that system wasn't there. We don't want to see fans ripping each other off. And our line has always been, if you've got a spare ticket, send it to another fan at face value, put it through, you know, the channels, get it back to the club so there can be some fairness on the way the tickets are being allocated. But yet, stuff up is going to cause a problem next year. And if you want to ask us whether we'd rather it wasn't there, yes, we would rather it wasn't there. But it's there, they've signed the deal, they've taken the money. We don't think they should have. So we, we've done as much as we could to make sure that people don't get hit financially and people don't get ripped off. But in the end, and you know, I've had arguments with people who have said it's absolutely disgusting that this deal allows people to sell tickets for over face value, but I'm going to sell a ticket for over face value. And I said, well, no one's making you, are they? And again, fans, you know, have got to look to themselves a little bit as well. Yes, they've been given the chance by this what we think is a bad deal, but in the end, if you feel that strongly about it, don't sell your ticket at over face value. Okay, final final couple of questions. Um, can we learn from our caravan utilising nomadic travellers um, and their NAF last ever game faux pas before our last ever game um, at White Hart Lane next season? Are there any plans? Will there be a celebration? Will fans be allowed to buy parts of the stadium? Uh, can I, right, just, I will just say that I went to sleep quite early last night, so I have only seen stills on Twitter of Sammy the Snake appearing to invade the pitch and various other, you know, unsavoury sites. Uh, but also my Twitter timeline exploding by people saying, if I could get Barry Manilow to perform Can't Smile Without You live on the pitch, I would be everyone's hero. So obviously that's my mission for our closing ceremony in White Hart Lane, but Martin's got something more sensible to add, I think. <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, the, line, the line that I would take was, was my favourite um, that somebody said on Twitter last night, and they said, Dear Spurs official, look at what Sam, what West Ham have done, let's do the opposite. Oh, right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, okay, fi final few things. So, um, very briefly, if, um, what are your aims for next season? Uh, the aims of the trust for next season. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I think we've got an incredibly busy year ahead. Obviously, we will try and input as much as possible into the last season at White Hart Lane. We will try to make sure that tickets are allocated as fairly as they possibly can be. We've also got another mini headache uh, because obviously the great thing about the £30 away price cap is that more people can now afford to apply for away games. So that's another headache. So uh, there's a cause and effect going on there. So I think you know we, we need to focus on that. We need to make sure that everything's in place for the season away. Uh, we still don't know where that's going to be, 100%. I mean, obviously, everyone knows the noises are when we've got no contracts being signed at this point in time. Um, so that's then moving our fans over to another stadium, uh, so reseating everybody again, making sure that you know the pricing's good for the season away, and then the major headache of moving all the fans back into the new stadium on hopefully a stretch pricing policy. So we have got a very busy workload coming up. Uh, so if all of that falls into place, I'll be very happy. And hopefully we'd want to carry on with, you know, the, some of the atmosphere initiatives around flags. We know that's something that's worked very well uh, this year, so we want that to keep going. And hopefully that's not going to be a huge amount of work for us because that will be something that fans take on board as well. So yeah. they can just facilitate. Um, and the other kind of... the drum, but not the Risking in the drum, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that's been a success this year, and it's again, it's, it's kind of very slow moving forward, but it's a lot of work that we've done uh, liaising with the, with the police and with clubs over away allocation. So one of our... I don't know, it's, it's not right to call it a victory, but something that, that was achieved this year was that for the last few seasons, getting into Chelsea at Stamford Bridge has been really, really difficult. Uh, we followed that up last year with the local police and with Chelsea as a club. Uh, we said that, you know, non-working turnstiles wasn't good enough, the crowd management system wasn't good enough, uh, the way that the police escort turned up late and caused more problems wasn't good enough. This year was probably the smoothest entry into Stamford Bridge for a long time. Really? Uh, and that is partly because we sat down with the club, uh, we involved our own club security people in there as well, uh, and we sat down with the police. And what we're looking for next year is to have more input into things like the local safety advisory group, which is again another kind of boring bureaucratic local council body, but they make the decisions about policing and security at a top level. Uh, we've done a lot of work with our own security people. We had four of the trust board members shadow the security operation during a match day, so we see what the things are that they have to deal with. And again, we could feed in their experiences, grassroots fans on that as well. Um, so we've got a very, very good relationship with them, and that helped when our fans were facing problems in Dortmund. Uh, we were pretty much straight away talking to our head of security and a couple of people on the board about what was going on there. And I think we managed to, you know, make sure that things, I think things could have got worse out there. So doing that sort of work uh, is quite, it, it's been a success, but it's quite a slow success. But what we're establishing is the thing we were talking about right at the start of the pod, which is that maybe if you're talking about how to manage fans, it's a good idea to find out what those fans think and consult them about it. Um, there are still people within the police that don't seem to have read the uh, results of the Hillsborough inquiry and still don't think that it's a particularly good idea to talk to fans and see us as a problem rather than as, as customers, if you like, as people to be worked with. So we've got some work to do there. But you know, things are gradually improving and I think we just have to keep making the point that it's a good idea to talk to us. But you know, we, we, have, we have had a few victories on that front this year. Okay, very briefly, last season we, we, we mentioned... Um... Uh, we were, if somebody wanted to get involved um, with a trust, um, how would they do that? But if, if, if anybody doesn't know, um, could you just, just yeah, yeah, sure. let us know? So um, we have a website, uh, which is www.thstofficial.com. So go on there, have a look. Um, the news page is particularly interesting. That's where we post 
all of our updates as you might get. Um, there's a membership page on there as well, which is where you click to join if you like what you see on the website. Uh, we're fairly active on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at thstofficial.com. We're also on Facebook, which is again thstofficial.com. Um, so various ways for people to get in touch with us. I will do a quick plug if that's okay. Um, yeah. We are hosting a barbecue at the Antwerp Arms, which is the only community pub in Tottenham. It's on Church Road. Um, which we had saved along with various fans in the club a couple of years ago from redevelopment. So we're hosting a barbecue there on Sunday the 29th of May, that's Bank Holiday Sunday, from 1 until 8. Um, we, the, the barbecue is completely free. Obviously, you need to buy your drinks. Um, we have got a raffle. Uh, we were quite keen to do a raffle, not an auction. I personally have been to too many events where they've had auctions, and uh, there's been some great Spurs memorabilia there that I'd love to own, but I don't have the hundreds stroke thousands of pounds that the other people in the room with me seem to have to bid on. So we've got just as good quality prizes, but we're doing a raffle. And if these tickets are any more than £10 each, I'll hang myself. So uh, it's a raffle, and the raffle is going to be drawn by Leslie King. So Mr. Leslie King is going to be, uh, going to be along at the pub at the Antwerp Arms doing that. Actually, Paul Coit is going to be interviewing him. We've got a guy called Tom Mitchell doing some a live set for us, and I have acoustic set. We've got a DJ in there as well. Uh, we sold about 170 tickets, and the capacity is 220. So um, go on to our website. On the home page is a link through to Eventbrite, and we'd love to see as many of you down there as possible. Um, the raffle proceeds are going to prostate cancer. We're doing a bike ride over to Amsterdam, uh, which leaves on the 3rd of June. And, and so it's, a, it's a, a charity raiser for them and to say goodbye to the cyclists as well. So thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> can, I, can I slip another quick plug in? Just sure. Yeah. What Kat said about that charity bike ride. If you go on to our homepage at www.thstofficial.com, uh, on the right-hand side, you'll see a little sign that says support our bike ride. If you click on there... Um, we've got a team of, I think it's 11. 15, oh, 15 riders. 15 riders are cycling from London to Amsterdam, led by one of our board members. He's 70 years old. Um, we've, got, we've got 7-0. We've got one of the largest teams, uh, the second largest team of, of, of anybody that's taking part in that. Um, and all the money is being uh, raised for Prostate Cancer, which is a charity that's backed by uh, Martin Yole. What we need is more people sponsoring those bike riders. At the moment, 31 people have sponsored the bike riders. I think there's more than 31 Spurs fans out there that have got the, uh, the money uh, and have got the will to sponsor that bike ride, and we want to see more people lumping on there. So if you can go and click on that link on our website and go on and make a donation through the Just Giving page, which it takes you through to, that would be really, really massively appreciated. I will clarify and say that Just Giving page is a joint page for all the cyclists. They've all got individual pages for their family and friends, and at the moment we've raised £12,000. So, you know, it's slightly more than 31 donations, but we do need more. So, as Martin says, please click through. Great. Um, so that's Sunday the 29th, and it's 1 p.m. to 8 o'clock at the Antwerp Arms. And that's a, that's a bank holiday weekend, is it? Because it's a bank yeah, holiday, it is. On, bank on holiday Monday. Um, quick one. Both of you, are you going um, to the Newcastle match on Sunday, I presume? Yeah. Is there a game? <laughs> Do you believe there yeah. is? We'll be there. Excellent. Okay. Um, thank you both for your time. Um, just to add. 
um, that the next and the final podcast of this season will be on Monday. I'll be recording that um, same day that I come back from Newcastle. So that's the final final pod of this season. Um, once again, thank you, Kat. Thank you, Martin, for your time. Really welcome. Um, thank you. And as ever, the future's bright, the future's lily white. Good night. So bloody slow, you are the first team, the last team my dreams have ever seen. Put on that lily white and run on to that green. Why our lane has seen its pain, it's at its low tonight. We fought our team through thick and thin and all those glory nights. And when the game is done, we'll sing a song and talk it out all night. Oh, we've seen them come, we've seen them go, the names up on our shirt. Gods have failed as men are hailed and faces in the dirt. Now gather round and sing it out and we'll talk out all the hurt.